Welcome to Thrive, Building Resilient Families, Austin Child Guidance Center's first ever podcast. This podcast was created to normalize the challenges of parenthood and to provide parents and caregivers with strategies and support in their efforts to help their children to thrive in childhood and beyond. I am Kristen Pierce Freaky, the Executive Director of ACGC, and I'd like to introduce our guest, Sherry Ryder Job. With 20 years of experience in education in key leadership positions, as well as the classroom, as an ESL educator and DEI practitioner, Sherry espouses a hands-on collaborative approach through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion to responsibilities in school leadership, community engagement, multicultural education, and multilingual learning. In addition to teaching, living, and studying abroad, she provides a unique awareness of how culture, language, and identity influence the learning styles of all students. Sherry currently lives with her family in Philadelphia. Welcome, Sherry. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So I'm going to just have us jump right in, if that's okay. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So what exactly does a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner do? I think that's a term that a lot of people are hearing a lot right now, and it'd be really helpful if you could kind of just give everybody a clear understanding of what that function is. So I am a... uh a DEI practitioner and I work in independent schools. So I am doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in a school community, a school setting. And so the the role is basically primarily to help create, provide, uh, help and create and provide um, safe spaces for students to be able to bring and express their full authentic selves in their school communities with the ultimate goal of them being able to learn in the most conducive environment. And often that is followed up with, well, how, how does that happen? Um, and it happens through professional development with teachers and administrators and staff in the school community, parents in the school community. Um, it also in, in it also takes place with teaching. So I'm also teaching uh, and working with students in that capacity. Uh, there is programming around identity development and the main, another big part of being a diversity practitioner in a school community is assessing the policies and procedures and practices um, with a DEI lens. Uh, okay, and so this is actually, I think, a bigger role than people maybe understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you work within a new school or when you you know are working in a new environment and um what are some of the things you talked about as looking at policies and procedures you know can you talk a little bit more specifically about some of the specific policies and the specific procedures that you look at uh to assess their kind of dei needs yes and so the as a diversity practitioner in a school community i am providing a particular lens, a particular uh, perspective on how a school develops its policies around inclusion uh, for students who 
uh, feel marginalized, be it due to uh, ethnicity, race, gender, sexual orientation, culture, language. Um, and my, my role is to look at the policies and procedures and practices of a school and provide insight and uh, suggestions and recommendations as schools are constantly revamping and constantly looking and assessing their policies and procedures in a school community because things are always changing. And as education evolves, so do our school communities. And so I'm the one at the table who is providing that particular lens that not everyone has or maybe has the training to look at something with that perspective. And so when you, I'm curious, you know, when you present your findings, what kind of reactions do you typically get um, from principals or school administrators when you kind of, kind of give them your assessment of, of their, uh, how effectively or where they are on the DEI scale, I guess, assuming that it operates, that you think of it on a spectrum. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the reactions are as varied as the recommendations and the strategies that, or the policies that I may be bringing attention to. Um, sometimes it is met with enthusiasm. Sometimes it is met with questioning. Wow, you know, really, do we need to do that? Or is that an issue that we need to be thinking about? Sometimes there is resistance. Um, like most cultures and communities that we engage in, a lot of times tradition is a, is a place where there might be more resistance. Uh, school communities often build their school culture around this is the way we do things and, and this is our tradition. And sometimes traditions have to be altered or may have to even sometimes be removed because they are not allowing all students to be their authentic self in, in a particular school community. Uh, no, I, one, mm -hmm. no, go ahead. Uh, one example of this may be, I worked at a school where uh, traditionally students upon graduation wore graduation gowns uh, according to gender. And so as we've evolved as a society, as we've evolved um, as, as a school community, that didn't necessarily speak to every student in the sense that having to choose a particular color because, of a, because it represents a gender that perhaps society has decided that's what you need to be, that sort of bumps up against uh, students whose identities are not are not fitting with that. And so that was a particular, my recommendation was to do away with that, that tradition that students who identify as male wearing one color and students who identify as female wearing a different color for of gown for graduation. And so while the school administration and the, the students uh, were very receptive to this and this recommendation actually came out of conversations with students um, it was well received and there was a positive feedback. However, as we neared graduation, there are other uh, entities of the 
constituencies in the community who were not as uh, receptive or were a bit more resistant. And so when that happens, often what needs to happen next is there needs to be communication. Uh, there needs to be a, an understanding and, an, and a, that not all constituencies are going to be at the same place at the same time. However, I do think in school communities, when you're putting forth the needs of students first and foremost, it's kind of hard to uh, resist the need of, of the most important constituency in the community, which is that of the students. Right. Do you, so at Austin Child Guidance Center, we have a, um, our staff, we have an equity task force. So it's mm -hmm. made up of members of our staff um, and they kind of um, work with, we have a DEI consultant that we work with and they work with her to kind of assess, because I think, as you mentioned earlier, this is an ongoing process. You're kind of never done. You know, you're always mm -hmm. kind of evolving and working on this. Do you recognize, oh, excuse me, do you encourage um, or do you recommend that school communities um, and other or, uh, entities have like a, you know, an equity task force or some kind of equity or DEI kind of group within staff or whatever as sort of an internal entity within an organization to help to sort of um, make sure that that these concerns are um, ongoing and that there's that there's a perpetual lens for, especially for organizations that don't have a DEI person on staff, maybe they have consultants like we do that kind of come and go, but do you, is that something that you would recommend? Absolutely, particularly in a school community, there needs to be uh, someone who is in the school community, living and breathing uh, amongst the community on a on a daily basis that is a part of the community and part of their role in the community is to serve as the DEI practitioner. You know, con consultants have a great, uh, they, they also have a role as well because then you have that outside perspective, you have new set of eyes and that's absolutely important as well. However, a consultant can also and should also be serving as a resource to your on-site within community diversity practitioner. Um, I think it's also important to keep in mind that diversity, equity, and inclusion work is everyone's work. There obviously needs to be a point person to help drive the mission or to help um, facilitate the courageous conversations that need to happen around DEI. However, with professional development and anti-bias training and, and, and education around microaggressions, it's important that the organization or rather the school community understands that it's everyone's work and that the DEI practitioner's role is to lead that work. Right. No, I agree with that. I, I think that's, and that's a really astute point. Um, you, I know, have a background in education and, and specifically with um, ESL. Mm 
So I know that for many years before you worked as a DEI practitioner, you were an, e an ESL teacher. Um, and so as someone who has worked with students that are, you know, often international students or students who for whom English is not their first language, many of whom are coming to educational systems in the United States that are very foreign from their home country or um, their sort of home community. Um, in that capacity, you know, what have you learned about the importance of inclusion and representation, certainly in a school setting, but kind of in general as well? I think it's important to decipher the difference between inclusion and equity, as well as belonging. Mm -hmm. For many years as the uh, ESL teacher and then, you know, international student coordinator, ESL program coordinator, I, I entered my my career through education through a multicultural setting um and so i found myself often being the advocate for my students the primary advocate for my students because of the language barrier that may have been present with the student but also with the home um and so with that said that is what helped me or inspired me to seek out training within the diversity, equity, and inclusion field because it made me a better advocate. It's important that we decipher the difference between equity, inclusion. Um, inclusion basically means that a school community is providing equal access to resources, opportunities for all students in regards to whatever their skill set may be. Uh, with belonging and with equity, I think it's important to understand that with equity, every student is also receiving what they need to be successful or to thrive in an educational setting. And then the one thing that I think a lot of schools are starting to understand is that sense of belonging which is very important, especially for students who are part of our more marginalized parts of, of society in that they have a, a connectedness to the community on a, on a psychological level, meaning what I'm bringing to this community, no one else can bring, that's why I belong here. And that is, I think, where schools sometimes struggle the most is making sure that all of our students and members of the school community are feeling as though, not that they're just included or not that just everyone is getting what they need and it, everything is equal, but also that I belong here. I, I really I really love that, that idea. Um, and I think it, I can only imagine how kids who have that sense of belonging and who feel like they're, they belong and they're there for a specific reason and they have they they add value to whatever that community is probably learn better i would imagine because they feel like they're absolutely. they're where they're supposed mm -hmm. to be um absolutely. you know what in your experience also as a mother as a person of color as you know uh, and as well as your esl experience you know what has been your experience around um some of the mental health implications when you're in an educational environments that lack 
that sense of belonging and equity and inclusion? Um, what, what, what kind of things have you observed uh, when that's not really what it needs to be? You know, in, uh, as, a, as a parent uh, and, a, and an educator of color and a parent of children of color, it's that sense of belonging is really crucial and integral to having a conducive learning environment, uh, having that connectedness to your school community. And, and sometimes, oftentimes, that is not the case for uh, students who are uh, part of a marginalized uh, community within our society. Uh, simply put, I think the ment one of the first mental health implications that I've noticed with my students and even with my own children is just the mental exhaustion and fatigue that sort of comes with the otherness experience and all that that entails. Um, and when I say otherness, I'm speaking more specifically to the only one, the only student of color, or the only ESL student, or the only uh, LG, only student who identifies as LGBTQ. Um, and with that otherness, there is an isolation that comes with that. Uh, there is a, as I said before, a mental fatigue with the anxiety and the stress that comes with that otherness that settles in on, on students who, who are feeling that or who kind of fall into that. And so DEI programming in a school setting provides resources and support for those students. Um, sometimes there is a resistance around DEI in schools because it's seen as separating or, or, or isolating in the reverse way. Uh, and, and not, not providing for all students. And what it really is, is it's just like any other resource that we provide students to make sure that they are having all that they need to, to thrive in a school setting. And so every student, no two students need the same thing. And DEI is not just for students of color. Uh, it is also for students who are part of of the majority because part of their role is to figure out where they fall in the in the DEI perspective and what's their part in anti-bias uh, and, and microaggressions behaviors and, and how they can be a part of, of the positive reinforcement and affirmation of all students. Hmm. I think that it's, you know, it seems to me that that's a concept that doesn't often get highlighted that DEI is also for, um, you know, people of the sort of uh, larger population, right? Um, and I think the way that you communicated it is more empowering than disempowering, which is sometimes when you do hear it, kind of how it seems that this is sort of teaches them how to participate and support anti-bias, um, kind of anti-racist, anti-marginalization, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's something that it's a tool that they also benefit from. Whereas often in the media and other areas you hear DEI spoken in a way that to your point earlier, only protects or seemingly only protects marginalized populations um, or people with you know multiple identities. 
Um, and that's really not the case. It's And as you said earlier, DEI work is everyone's work. It is uh, everyone's work. I think it's important to also understand that it's not just the work of the marginalized. And I think that is where we as a society, I do think I'm seeing a shift in that, in that people are understanding now, oh, okay, it's not just the work of folks who are who have the identifiers of, of, of language or race or ethnicity or religion or, and are not part of the majority. It's all of our work because we're living in a global society. We are educating our children to live in a multicultural society, which is you know, where we're living now, the United States, but also globally. And everyone, it benefits everyone to know how to support and affirm each other. Um, I often say that if one child is not getting what they need, if one child is not being served fully, then then we're not doing our job. Right. You know, no one wants to to uh, walk away and say, well, you know, we got it. We got it. Fifty six percent. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, not not in education. And so I think a lot of my work now is making sure that we're doing this work at the earliest and, and youngest ages of school. So we're, we're doing work with preschoolers and, and kindergartners. And every child needs to learn how to express and, and articulate their identity. They need to know the vocabulary around that expression um, just for themselves, yet yeah. alone how to have those courageous conversations with their peers and their their teachers and so forth. Yeah, so much of our work here, you know, we, we you know we see our population, our kids and families, and so there's a lot of overlap with us and with schools, and we get a lot of our referrals from schools and, and educational um, systems, and and so there's a lot of work that we do with parents and teachers sometimes to support children, um, you know, and I think that the kids who are not getting the things that they need to thrive, kids that are not um, feeling supported in their educational institutions, which let's face it, when you're a child, that's your job. School is your job. You spend most of your time. If you're not at home, you spend exactly. it at school. Exactly. And so what, what often happens is that, you know, when really not tended to, that often yields sort of ne negative mental health outcomes. Um, so sometimes that's anxiety and depression. Sometimes that's sort of acting out behaviors. Um, and I guess I, you know, I appreciate so much what you've shared because even though, you know, your focus is mostly in educational systems, there's such a, there's such a close overlap uh, with those educational systems and, and the work that we're doing. And so given that we are kind of running out of time, I just wanted to ask you if you had any kind of last thoughts or reflections that you wanted to share about anything having to do with the DEI work that you're doing or, or um, you know, just sort of any thoughts or I, I guess one thing I didn't ask is um, strategies or suggestions that you would give to parents around supporting their kids or teaching them, again, how to be uh, welcoming and um, inclusive, uh, especially for kids who maybe, you know, in their homes are not around a lot of people that don't look like them. Right. I think that's a, that's a great question. It's a big question. I know. Sorry. <laughs> um, Do I your think, best. 
I think what I would speak to as what our individual work would be, the strategy I would say would be first to accept and really understand at the core that we all have work to do, no matter where, what, what lens or perspective or skin or gender or religion or, or no matter what identity that you are walking the face of this earth with, you have work to do along the lines of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think it's important at a very individual level, especially as parents and educators and healthcare providers, uh, mental health care providers, is how, how are we creating and adding to the conversations around DEI? You know, what, look at what you're reading, look at who you're, who you're conversing with. Is it diverse? Um, be careful not to ask of our children what we're not willing to do for ourselves. And, and understanding that each of us has a particular part in the bigger conversation and, and dialogue around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think if we all work towards imagining and creating a world where everyone is affirmed, and doing our work to participate in helping to create those spaces. I think then if we're all doing our work, the, 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 kids, the kids are watching, the children are watching. So if we're doing the work, they, they will benefit. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being a guest on our show. I hope that you'll come Thank back you. again in the future this is a you know much like the work that everybody has to do this is a topic that you know you kind of you're never one and done um and i would and i would love to have you come back and and just share more of your insights um thank you thank you it's been a great conversation here on the thrive building resilient families podcast we hope you were able to listen a little learn a lot and leave with a better understanding of this important topic you can follow Austin Child Guidance Center on Twitter at Austin Child Guide, G-U-I-D, no E, Facebook at Austin Child Guidance Center, and Instagram at underscore ACGC underscore to stay updated with this podcast and other resources. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening, and thank you for prioritizing the mental health needs of your family. See you next time.